What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. Hola, I'm Mayra Betancourt Ponce. And I'm Lee Berman. And this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? As medical students, we must acknowledge racism within our profession's past and present in order to move forward. Today, we have Ashley Scott, a third-year MD-PhD student and Student National Medical Association representative on racism in healthcare and academic medicine. American medicine, embracing a painful past to make way for a more equitable future. The weather was finally starting to warm, and with my application cycle complete, I knew I would be attending a medical scientist training program in the fall. My dream was finally coming to fruition, and I was elated. I stopped on my way into work to treat myself to a coffee from my favorite coffee shop in the hospital. I was carelessly fixing my coffee just how I liked it when I felt someone yank at my hair, pulling with so much force that my whole body jolted backwards. I turned around to find a white woman with a handful of my braids. She stared at me, but not how one human should look at another. She stared at me like I was the newest exotic animal at the local zoo. I froze, completely unable to defend myself and my right to societal boundaries. Finally, she let go of my hair, smiled, and walked away. I stood in the lobby of America's best hospital, feeling completely humiliated. I went back to my desk and silently mourned for the loss of a piece of my dignity. That wasn't the first time something like that happened to me there. I once had a colleague grab my necklace and tell me it looked like a noose. At a department party, another one of my colleagues told me I should be a stripper and call myself hot chocolate. I can remember another time when I went out with my friends to a nearby bar and was greeted with, who let all the black people in? My stories were not unique. My non-white friends would often share similar stories. We had all come to America's best hospital to advance our careers, but paid the cost every day. Stories like ours are commonplace in academic medicine. Even in the hallways of America's greatest hospitals, we are constantly reminded that medicine was not made for us. It was not made for us to take part in, nor was it made for us or people like us to benefit from. And equity has always been a part of medicine. Earlier this year, my uncle lost his fight with colorectal cancer. During his final days in the ICU, we reached a point where curative options were no longer possible and his Full life life support was only prolonging his life. My family was undecided on what to do and painfully considered the decision before us in many family meetings. My father, who had been otherwise reserved in our, our meetings, adamantly demanded that everything that was medically possible be done for my uncle, utilizing every piece of technology, refusing the DNR, and demanding that we not remove any of his life support. 
Later, after my uncle passed, we were all distraught, but my grandmother was particularly worried about his body. She kept asking what would happen to his body, who would pick it up, did we need to take it? At the time, I dismissed my father and my grandmother's actions as being grief-stricken reactions to my uncle's passing. Later, I came to fully understand what was going on. My father grew up in Great Neck, New York, and was in the first class to graduate from a desegregated high school. So for him, hearing withdrawal care meant to not give his brother-in-law, a Black man, the care he deserved. My grandmother grew up in Jim Crow South. She asked repeatedly about his body because she can remember a time when Black bodies were disposed of like waste. So those that think our country's history of slavery, Jim Crow laws, and segregation are simply chapters for the history books cannot be more wrong. For my father, for my grandmother, for myself, and for our family, those same fears and anxieties that developed as a result of living a world that saw us as less than human are still very much real. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke at a convention of the Medical Committee for Human Rights in Chicago in 1969 and said, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. A sentiment that we as healthcare professionals should never forget. To eliminate racism in medicine, a lot has to change. We need to prioritize equity over blind innovation. We need to acknowledge our country's history and recognize the role medicine has played in it. Most critically, we need to find ways to make medicine work for all and not just the privileged few. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing that very powerful piece with us. Um, before we start, I just want to welcome you and thank you for being here today with us. Thank you. I'm, I'm very happy to be with you guys and to talk with you. I really like your piece, Ashley. I think one of the things that makes it so powerful is that it is very personal and gives us some insight into your experiences and how racism has influenced your life and also your career in and to medicine. And I know some of these experiences might be surprising to many, but they're not new. So could you share what your experience has been like these past few months seeing so many conversations surrounding race and racism when this is something you have been experiencing basically your whole life? Yeah, um, I think it's sort of like mixed feelings for me right now. Um, the positive aspect is everybody's talking about this. Yeah. Like the Black Lives Matter movement is definitely not new, but because of the sequence of events with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and the fact that we're in a pandemic, like everything has brought this to center stage. And the fact that now these conversations are finally getting had, that's positive. And I hope that it brings about sort of this wave of change that continues. Yeah. My negative feelings are kind of like, why did it take so long? You know, um, this is definitely not new. Um, at all and I, I grew up like hearing stories about this yeah. and so the fact that it's like now so popular is a good thing but also it's kind of hard and specifically related to like your feelings about this in healthcare because um you know like you said the murder of George Floyd and um Breonna Taylor like that's kind of brought to the center stage discussions in every person's life but also mm -hmm. specifically within institutions like 
UWSMPH like now is putting out all these like anti-racism racism statements like what's it been like to see that kind of unfold in your professional life um you know it's interesting when i when it first happened it was kind of a lot at once because <laughs> yeah. I, I realize this is new for a lot of people and that's great i'm glad people are learning about this but this is something i've been passionate about i think about constantly so it was kind of like overwhelming and people would reach out and be like oh did you hear about this or did you know about this like yes i did <laughs> this really affects me i'm glad you're learning about it now but it's definitely not new um i do think hopefully it will be sort of this positive catalyst for change like i work with snma a lot and we've had a lot of like attention for our organization here at UW and then also like nationally, people are asking us to take part in things and be a part of conversations. So that's really awesome. Like you said, you think about this a lot. You think about systemic racism in medicine mm -hmm. all the time. Like it, how does that impact your day-to-day? -day? Um, I think it impacts my day-to-day -day in a lot of ways and like things I'm not even necessarily consciously aware of mm -hmm. but sort of racism is ingrained in like all of our culture all of american culture so you do have some like internalized racism yourself like one example if i'm getting ready for clinic i will spend like an extra 30 minutes making sure my hair is like presentable or it's straight or it's neat or it's put away and i realize that's because you know academic medicine business doesn't like take kindly to natural black hair i wish it was different but right now all i can do is like make sure my hair is put together and sort of that's what i learned too when i was growing up from my grandmother and my mother like oh when you go out you have to make sure your hair looks like this um that's an example and just also not being able to like see yourself in a lot of mentors and professors i I'm really thankful that I like joined SNMA and have met like black physicians and fellow black students across the country and like black physician scientists. I had never met one before, but yet I want to do this. So mm -hmm. that kind of is disheartening too, where other people may be able to like see themselves in every lecturer. That's not necessarily a reality for me or um, my fellow black students. Yeah, definitely. I, I think some people don't really have to think about it. And it's, you know, not their fault, but also I want people to be more conscious about how these things affect people differently and how mm -hmm. people have different experiences. But just with simple things or things that might seem simple, like hair or hairstyles, but the mm -hmm. reality is that that comes from the idea of professionalism which i don't even want to get started with yeah. it is so ingrained that we don't even realize that it is affecting our peers ashley can you tell us a little bit more about what snma is and your work with that organization yes um so snma was started at a time in which um, black students were getting admitted to medical school and they were training black physicians, but they weren't allowed to join AMA. So they, black students got together and started their own organization really to focus on increasing diversity and medical training and also addressing minority health concerns. And it sort of existed to do the same things today. Like we're still trying to like fight the same battles in a lot of ways. 
it is like one of the oldest student-led and student-run medical student organizations. So like we have all these medical interest groups, which are awesome, but SNMA is like one of the oldest, which is super cool. Wait, yeah. so for the boards that you're serving on, so that's all student-led? Yes, yes. We have like our student presidents and we like sort of reach out to faculty members to help on different projects, but it's all completely medical student-run. Amazing. And I think SNMA here at UW has also been very active during this last few months, which is great. And you organized the White Coats for Black Lives rally. So how was it like organizing that and not only organizing, but seeing the response from the medical school and the Madison community in general? Yeah, I will say like organizing, I helped organize it and I definitely played like a very small role in it, which I was happy to do. Um, but the current SNMA leadership did an amazing job. So I have to give them like all the props because they had a really tough summer and really stressful. And they sort of got everything mobilized very quickly. And working with Dr. Jasmine Zapata and Dr. Tracy Downs, like we were able to put together this rally in like a week. And yeah, I still have this like image in my head of being like up there on the Capitol steps and we're trying to get things done and then looking out and seeing this like sea of like white coats and classmates and professors and it was really cool. And I just hope that that change like continues that energy of wanting to learn about these issues, mm -hmm. wanting to figure out how we fix racism in medicine. I hope it continues because it was very cool to be a part of. Yeah. One thing that was super impactful about the White Coats for Black Lives Rally in Madison was the speakers that you guys organized to come. Like they, you know, they, they knew their audience really well and they mm -hmm. clearly outlined ways that allies and people who, you know, want to, want to, you know, engage with these conversations and, and take tangible steps towards, um, you know, changing racism in medicine. Um, so I found it really helpful that people you know, did provide really like actionable steps for allies. Yeah, I thought that was awesome too. And like this education piece that we wanted to have and invite community leaders. And when you think about it, when else would they have that audience, like a captive audience of future physicians right. and current physicians and deans of medical school. So it was awesome. And I'm glad you got that response because definitely like things need to happen and things need to change the medical field in itself has been plagued since its very beginnings yeah. with racism. And it's something that cannot be ignored and has been ignored for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, just seeing that there has been such a conversation around it, but also seeing that there has been organization and action steps around it has been good too. Yes. And you bring up a good point of like how <laughs> racism is like always sort of plagued medicine. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, like all of our systems that were set up in our country were made for the benefit of like wealthy white males, end mm -hmm. of list. And so the fact that we're now pushing forward change um, is awesome, but it's going to take a lot to sort of rock the boat and oh, for sure foundation. So Definitely. Yeah, I think just going back to your piece, you bring up, like, I think one of the most powerful quotes from your piece is that, that we need to prioritize kind of change over blind innovation. And I think that is very powerful because it's the way we define innovation and 
what exactly innovation means if it's not for the benefit and for the equitable treatment of everybody. This is something I definitely think about a lot too because like I want to be a physician scientist so I love biomedical research. It is so cool but we do need to look at like who is benefiting from our research and what research questions are we asking and also where are we spending our resources like where are these research dollars going? If you compare like cystic fibrosis versus sickle cell anemia research um, funding, it's almost like a sevenfold difference. So who is making those decisions? Um, and then also who are we training to be at the level mm-hmm. where they make these decisions at like the PI level, the tenure professor level, and what can we do to make sure we have diverse perspectives fixing these problems. Ashley, this is why you have to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also glad you like love that that little quote because I like wrote it, you know, when you write something and you're like, yes, (laughs) I wrote it. I was like, I love this. I mean, you you mentioned being part of SNMA, but I know you were kind of one of the organizers of SNMA just last year. (laughs) You know, it's important for for you and it's important for the medical school community. However, it still takes time and it still takes a lot of energy. So I guess, I mean, this is kind of important to me because it's something that I really think about. It's the thing of minority tax. And I'm not sure if everyone knows what that is, but I want to talk to you more about it because it takes time and energy away from just studying medicine. So Mm -hmm. what has been your experience with that? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for asking about minority tax. I've been thinking about this a lot. (laughs) Like, honestly, we can have like a whole episode on minority tax. I know. This whole conversation can have like episodes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So first, minority tax is very much real. Like it exists. Um, And I definitely felt that like this summer, so this summer I had, I was doing a lot of things for like social justice and like on different diversity research committees. Um, I was helping with the rally. I also sit on like diversity, the national diversity research committee for SNMA. So we were doing projects and then also things for like the MD PhD program. Mm -hmm. I love them. I love doing them. I'm passionate about it, but I have nothing really to put on my CV for this summer. I have no like extra money in my bank account (laughs) from all the extra work in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of disheartening. And the same goes for like my SNMA peers, like the fact that we were sort of thrust into action because of this huge movement and did all this work, but the compensation isn't really there. Um, And it definitely gets even harder the further you go up. So, um, Physicians are not really compensated for their time on diversity research committees. It doesn't help their promotions, um, which is really disheartening too. And then also this idea of like, this work is not easy for us to do. Mm -hmm. Especially, I learned that this summer, like I had to take some time for like self-care because Mm -hmm. I, I think while other people maybe like allies can go and do this work and do a great job and then turn it off at the end of the day, I don't have that benefit. Um, So when people talk about like black patients, I think about my family. When they talk about black medical students, I'm thinking about my really closest friends. So you can't really turn it off. Um, So this work is even harder for us to do. It takes up more time. 
and often there's not a lot of compensation. Um, yeah, that's very real. And it just speaks to like how much of the of change in priorities <laughs> there needs to like right. be and happen where these things that affect so people so much and not only specific people, but the whole community is not giving importance or not giving merit merit enough to count towards you know, promotions or, you know, it's not compensated enough as you well, very well said. And there is like sort of this pressure to say yes to all these things. Like it's hard enough to say, yeah. no, I'm not going to do this. But the pressure is even intense because often like our numbers are so few. It's like, okay, if I say no to this, like where are you going to get your diversity input or where are you going to talk to underrepresented minorities? Um, and in our medical school class, there's only three of us. So I'm like, okay, it's either me or a couple of my friends. So if I say no, who's going to speak for black students? What is that going to look like? Um, so it's and, even and you also care about it. You want to do yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Since like you said, um, there's so few black students in our medical school class. How has the minority tax changed for you? you know, going from undergraduate to, um, you know, your work in scientific medicine to now medical school? Yeah, so I guess my undergraduate experience is kind of unique. I was in this program called Meyerhoff Scholars Program, which was founded to increase diversity in STEM disciplines. So my closest friends, my classmates, the people I went to school with were all underrepresented minorities, pretty much. We were all of the same mind. We definitely had these discussions and did everything together. And then you sort of, the higher you go, the fewer of you there are, which is mm -hmm. very disheartening. So when I got to medical school, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I'm like N of three or like N of one, like, okay, how do I, how do I go about doing things that are like, I'm passionate about, but also managing my career and my time right. is, it gets even harder. Yeah, Ashley, that's very real. I think that's that speaks to the importance of community and why increasing diversity is important and not only increasing the numbers, but increasing the support and the mm -hmm. systems or system changes put in place to support minority students. So yeah, I think that's very important. As medical students, how can we be allies there's a lot of things. I will say sort of just general good allyship. You have to get comfortable with just trusting people. And we sort of already touched on this, but you're never going to understand somebody else's experience. You're never going to understand what it is like to be a black med student. So I know there's like some of these thought experiments where it's like, oh, try to imagine what it would be like. And those are kind of problematic in my mind because you'll never understand. And part of it is just trusting other people when they say, hey, I've experienced this, this is how it felt, and I'm telling you, this system was not made for us. Mm -hmm. And part of being a good ally is like, okay, I don't understand it, I will never understand it, but I trust you and let me help you fix it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think supporting the work of others that are like already thinking about these things, which has been great because SNMA has, was like founded on increasing diversity in healthcare and healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been great to see like support from our classmates, support at rallies, that type of thing. Also, just sort of this idea of like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable 
and us as med students, like we're always uncomfortable. Med school is not comfortable. It's like not fun, but it's like ends to a mean. Like, so I think we should just be comfortable with being uncomfortable, being outside of our comfort zone, talking with people that, you know, necessarily you may have never talked to before. Or you don't share the same cultural background. That's why we're all here at school to learn from each other as well as to learn medicine. So a couple of things. <laughs> I really liked your answer. I think that's exactly right. Like medical students in particular, we need to be okay with being uncomfortable. And yes. this is one area where we particularly need to like be putting in the work to learn and make change. Yeah. Like this is a reality. It may not be your reality in a day to day, but it is a reality and you're part of it. Either you want it or not. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a very good point, Myra, too. Like, you're part of it. Like, I'm part of it. We're all part of it. Like, that's sort of what you sign up for when you're like, I want to go to medical school. <laughs> Medicine's great. I love medicine. But also, I'm here because I know we can do a lot better in some areas. So, acknowledging that, too. Ashley, what advice would you give to Black medical students specifically or Black pre-meds? Mm -hmm. I would say definitely try to, like, find your tribe in med school or undergrad, find your support system, find your people and really like lean on them because I think it's medicine is kind of hard. And it's like, sometimes you hear lectures and you're like, some things don't really sit right. But if you have people to go talk to and it's like, Hey, what do you think about that? Like that in itself is very therapeutic. Look for mentors. Definitely. Even though they might not be easy to find, try to do some work get engaged with like SNMA and things you're passionate about. So much advice. This episode was recorded just hours before the shooting of Jacob Blake at the hands of police in our home state of Wisconsin. A painful reminder that this work is just the beginning. Racism, both within and outside the medical field, is a public health crisis. And we all have the responsibility to not only learn about it, but take part in dismantling it. Thanks for listening. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. We'll see you for our follow-up in two weeks. Have a nice day. Funding for What Brings You In Today is provided by the Kern Foundation.